drink beer, think beer. You're listening to Broodlands. Alcohol is necessary for a man so that he can have a good opinion of himself. Undisturbed be the facts. That from 19th century columnist and humorist Finley Peter Dunn from Chicago. A noted beer city, Chicago is. Yeah, it is. It's my kind of town, Chicago. You don't like beer, though, so I don't know if you like it. That's true. I don't like beer. Yeah, I true. only like uh, green. It's, it's weird you do a beer podcast, but <laughs> That's you, right. you don't like beer. I only like green dyed water. <laughs> Right. Just tap water, lake water, river water. Yeah. Just as long as it's dyed green, that's all I care about. Like that lake water when you were living in Abilene, you used to stir it Yeah, a eat, stick. Sure. But that was more, <laughs> yeah, that was more brown. That was very sad, actually. As long as it's, it's a very not, sad story. Either It's either neon green or, or you know, doo-doo pea green. I don't care as long as it's green. Doo-doo it's, pea it's, green. It's a okay. shade of green, yes. Right. Well, you know, when, when doo-doo goes bad... It's it's kind of a green color. It can't take on a green hue. It can be very bad at yeah. that point. If you're having bad backside, <laughs> it can it can go uh, to the wrong color, right, or the right color depending on your preference. So let's talk about the beer we're drinking today. We're drinking about an old standby. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, New Hearted Ale from uh, from Bell's. Bell's, which is a fabulous brewery. They New- have several several different beers that are great. Right, new to the area. We just got them this past yeah, year. Yeah, true. It's uh, what probably. Might- about four or five months old. Yeah, something maybe. like that. We did a, a episode th- about the Armadillo, Amarillo, sorry, Amarillo or Am I Right IPA yeah. that they developed just for Texas, which, which was pretty was spare, pretty spare. But yeah. uh, but they have a lot of good stuff. They do from their traditional lineup. The Two Hearted Ale being one of them. That's what we're drinking today. Yes. Uh, if you've never had the Two Hearted, never had the chance. Some people in certain Facebook groups would tell you it's overrated and it's a drain pour, but it is definitely by far one of the best <laughs> well, ideas going. They also say if it's like one month old, you should drain pour it, but that's not true. That same group, yes. It's good for like six months, yes, minimum. Yeah, it's if you've never had it, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It is uh, one of the gold standard bears of you IPAs. Too heartedly recommend it. I, I recommend it with three hearts. If no, I had a third heart, I've only more, got two. Even more than they do. I've only got two hearts, but I will yes. recommend it with a third that I will steal. Out of a cadaver that I will go loot from a, a morgue tonight. A freshly morgued corpse. So we're cutting this episode from yet another cave. Because between yes. uh, Marcus's house we're and my house, cave. We're, uh, we're forced to go into the cave in the very tiny room somewhere in the back of the house. Yep. Uh, the wives really push us back there. So That's today so we're in my office, which is a tiny, tiny room. It's, it's like basically a jail cell about... Like a four by four, basically. Yeah, you were. Uh, this was originally a crafting room, but we yes. decided we're going to take it over and turn to a podcasting cave. Yeah, so we we it's, have like uh, we have like sewer lines running through here. Yeah, we have you know it's it, it smells like ass, but we'll make the best of it. But that's okay as long as it's dank and sweaty and there's liching on the walls. And as long as we can have beer in here, who yeah, cares? it's that's right. fine. It is weird how as the as the husbands, if you have a hobby, you're relegated to one small <laughs> corner of the house, right? While the wife gets free roam. They get the they get yeah free reign of ninety eight percent of the house. You get two percent of the house. Yeah, and and then if your they, hobby is relegated to that tiny two percent of the house, but then if they also want you know to have a, a quilting bee or a crafting room. Or a yeah. wrapping room, wrapping get a gift wrapping room. They'll take that room. other two percent. They'll take your cave away yeah. to make <laughs> that have nothing. I know this feels like the start of a generic CBS sitcom <laughs> about with a fat guy with a pretty wife, right? But, you know, it's there's some truth there to that. There uh, is a little bit of truth there. To that yes. stereotype because yes. in both cases, yes, our hobbies have been relegated to the other room. My fridge has been relegated to the hot garage, That's and true. then my podcast has been relegated to the tiniest room in the house. Yes, the tiniest room. So, yeah, with uh, sewer pipes and uh, radioactive turtles. We can also 
podcast on the deck, but it's still too hot for that. Yes. So maybe like October, we'll have more free rain outside. But Although for, for now, we're in a tiny room. For August in Texas, this is rather nice. This it is, is balmy. Yes, it's very nice. This is that. like a regular March day in Texas. That is true, yes. The the last week has been nice, but that's enough weather talk. This yeah. is not the Delcus cast. That is a separate shorty. <laughs> this is not the precip cast. <laughs> right. So let's talk some news. Uh, do you want to start with good news or bad news? Uh, why don't we start with good news? Well, the good news is, if you're a fan of Founders and you're a fan of the Canadian breakfast stout... And why would you not be? Because it's delicious. Well, because maybe you've never had it, like myself. Okay, well, you should be, because it's delicious. So I cannot be a fan because I've never had it. So <laughs> right. if you are a fan or you think you might be a fan, the good news is, it looks like they're going to release the CBC as part of their Barrel Age series, of, of which you might be familiar with the Project PAM... And no, I'm not saying, saying Pan, pan? or okay. Pan. Uh, the Lords of Cause, the Sweet Repute, and the Bolt Cutter were all part of that series. Uh, it looks like they've got label approval for. They've at least filed for the uh, a label with the Alcohol and Tobacco and Tax Trade Bureau to release this as part of the Barrel Age series. Well, I will say, living in Texas, we have only had limited availability for this because so, the past years it's only been on draft, and then yeah. in sparing years on top of that, like yeah. we didn't get well, it this past even on year. Draft, like it's not very widely available, yeah. so. You know, like, uh, there's a local place called Common Table, and they had it, and it was actually limited to, if you got a ticket, you were able to actually get it, and it was only like, I don't know, 30, 40 people, maybe? Right. So, it'd be nice if they opened this up a little bit. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to. I guess, um, yeah. I don't know, I guess they've got enough cave space to <laughs> to store their maple barrels and put it's their... It's all about uh, the caves. It's all about the caves, yeah, so... Hopefully, we'll see that sometime later this year. There's no dates on it yet. It and is better than the KBS. It looks like they said that uh, it probably will be packaged in 750 milliliter bottles, although every release so far in the Barely series has also had a 12-ounce release, so they're not exactly sure what it's going to get yet. Hey, that works. But, hey, if you get it in bottles at all and it gets widely distributed, then I would say that is probably a great success. Yeah, I would agree. Yes, definitely. So, on to the bad news. Uh-oh. As things continue to get uh, grim and dark for craft beer, it seems like. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about how millennials are destroying craft beer and uh, millennials are destroying everything, and maybe they're not destroying everything. Uh, well, the, here's a bad sign. So 47 Hops, which is a hop supplier out of uh, the Yakima Valley, they have filed Chapter 11 because of the decline in hop demand. Uh-oh. Yeah, um, even in the wake of Anheuser-Busch limiting access to the South African hops, which was a big uh, to-do a couple months ago. I'm not sure I've ever heard of 47 hops. Uh, I haven't either, but okay. they're quite notable in the uh, brewing industry. Uh, we've only homebrewed a couple times, so I'm not surprised. Right. We don't know who they are. Sure. But, uh, yeah, they filed Chapter 11. They're not going to go out of business. They're just reorganizing the debt. But basically what happened was they expected crappier sales to be higher. Everybody did than they have been. And so they basically landed, they signed bigger contracts than they should have. And as a result, brewers are late to pay because they, so they have, have to restructure. They have to restructure. Brewers yeah. are late to pay and they've uh, take they bought too many hops from the farmers and the farmers don't want to restructure their contracts. Right. And so they're, they've had a lot of financial trouble. So they're, they're going into chapter 11 to restructure their debt, um, a greatly reduced demand on hops. Sure. And, uh, interestingly, the guy who, uh, owns 47 hops uh the last name is mckinnon he actually said he actually wrote uh last year an article about why it was called why big brewery acquisitions are good for craft beer i'm actually kind of surprised though because i feel like most new beers and well maybe not most but a lot of new beers 
use a mm-hmm. lot of hops. Right. So I'm kind of surprised they're, they're having an issue. And it's not like craft beer new breweries opening. Like, that's a slow process. Yeah. I feel like, I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of surprised they're having that problem. Well, he said that uh, his comment here was in July, back in early July, he said... Uh, Quote, from a hot market perspective, the financial stability, business acumen, and order that big brewers possess would be a welcome addition to the craft brewing industry. Some craft brewers are definitely more creative types than business people. He said, uh, he, he said, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, That's a number, sorry, I, grow, I lost my place. A growing number of brewers simply don't understand how the hops market works and that their shoot-from-the-hip approach to ambitious contracts could wreak havoc on the industry. And he wrote that um, yeah. back in July, and it's... It, or maybe even earlier than that, it's come true. Okay. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. So that's some bad news for uh, the craft beer industry, and that's just one omen, I guess. Uh, another one is that um, the craft there's a craft beer glut, and we talked about this before. There's not enough shelf space. There's not enough tap space, and it appears that the United States, despite the fact that in Dallas they said, "Well, we're not anywhere near United the, States." United States, we're not anywhere near the uh, tipping point of having too many breweries. Right. We've said, we've been sounding that, we've been ringing that gong for a long time. You better watch alarm, out. Yes. The glut alarm. And we're, you know, noted uh, predictors in this industry. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes to us for advice. Well, it's happening all, the way, all across the United States. So there's not enough shelf space to take on all these. They said there's a new brewery opening every two days in the United States. Right. And there's not enough task patient shelf space to support that. And apparently, a, b- a bunch of brewers, they get to 100,000 barrel production limits and then they just hit a wall because they can't sell anymore sure but then they've acquired so much debt that they can't make enough of a profit to support themselves right and so they're seeing a lot of uh failures acquisitions uh things like that uh no surprise yeah i've been concerned about that uh it kind of sucks it'd be nice if there was some way to consolidate these breweries and their top beers Mm -hmm. to kind of put those together because there are a lot of different breweries that do different styles and different things really well. Sure. So it'd be nice if they could somehow be some kind of conglomerate that, that could handle that. But yeah, I mean, I get independently operating breweries. You have certain negotiating power and you work with your distributor and there's only so much you can do. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Well, Ken Grossman, the founder of uh, Sierra Nevada said that, uh, that Sierra Nevada sales have fallen 7.5% this year. I could see that as of mid July. Well, Sierra Nevada is also kind of suffering from, uh, you've been around a while. Yeah, so old man syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they're not the only ones. Uh, they're just saying that uh, uh, Benji Steinman, or Ben Steinman, sorry, president of, uh, he's a president of a tracking firm, said that they used to say a rising tide lifts all boats, and it's definitely not that now. He His firm estimates that shipment volumes declined for 16 of the top 36 craft style US, U.S. brewers last year. Man. Yeah. That's rough. Uh, retail store sales of craft beer styles fell 143 million to 2.3 billion in the first half of 2017, according to data from Nielsen. And uh, even though craft beer shipments grew in the double in the double digits, even as overall beer sales fail, fail, yeah. Uh, but uh, craft beer demand has begun to decelerate as of 2016. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's. I mean, we've thought for a while that there's a bit of a bubble coming, and it looks like sure. that bubble is getting close to popping, or it's at least going to shrink. It's not going to be the <laughs> yeah. good, happy, fun time bubbles that we're, uh, you know, we've all come to drink and love. Yeah, shrinking, I could see. Uh, I don't know, that bursting it's... and getting rid of them. I don't know about that. Well, it's you know, but you also say that it's not like when the the IT 
bubble happened right. in the early 2000s. When all your pets.com stock went to crap. Exactly. It's not like... You could have been a billionaire. It's not like every IT firm collapsed yeah. that day, but a lot of people lost their jobs, me included. True. Um, it's not unusual. A bubble so doesn't mean... You your whole 401k into pets.com. So. Well, that's true. Yeah. I just bought all the pets.com puppets, sock puppets. <laughs> right. Um, they, yeah. You, you never thought they'd get rid of those. No, yeah. never. Never. Yeah. But it doesn't mean everybody's going to lose their job. It just means there's going to be a great retraction in... You and I were hanging out in a hot tub together like we were soulmates, and then all of a sudden the pets.com bursted, and they're like, "Eh, (laughs) all right, well, i got to get out of the hot tub. I know. We had the the sock puppets in the hot tub, and I just dropped them in the hot tub and walked away. It all got repoed at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you had to get rid of it. Uh, Yeah, it's going to – I mean, some breweries are going to go out of business, either bad business practices, bad beer, uh, don't get enough notoriety, they're focusing in the wrong ways. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why a brewery can go out of business. Firewheel, Midnight Ninja, yeah, very good example. Firewheel, Grapevine, retracted to a, to uh, be a yeah, brew pub they're only. They're still around though. They, I'm but, saying, but yeah. they retracted from being a full scale brewery to right, a brew did, pub. Yeah. And uh, even though I still see their cans on shelves, yeah. but I'm guessing that's just the last of the stock holding on. No, nah, maybe so. Yeah, uh, I, I think I still saw Lake Fire the other day at Total Wine. But yeah, that would make sense. That was their biggest one. So yeah, and uh, you know, Cobra Brewing just we just found out on Facebook this past week that. Cobra Ring locally, we don't know exactly what happened there, if it was bad business practices or what. We know, at the very least, we know there was a, a disagreement between the owner and his father-in-law, I guess they're co-founders yeah. of the brewery. I don't, I, I, to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience with uh, Cobra, but uh, yeah. they're apparently either going to go out of business or reorganize as well Oh, okay. Uh, with entirely new recipes. So, sure. if you like that danky IPA, too bad for you. <laughs> He said, uh, "Whatever's on the he said specifically, whatever on the shelves now is going to be the last you have of it. If they release that same beer, or at least under the same name, it'll be a different recipe. So basically, you should get that, throw it in your freezer, and then yeah. sell it in like five years. Exactly, and everybody will say it's a cool retro IPA, along with those uh, those sock puppets, right? So you mentioned uh, earlier the maybe some breweries should have one specific good beer that they should focus on. Yeah, so Tallgrass Brewing." They decided apparently that because of the the craft beer glut, they decided to refocus. They have they're one of those breweries like most craft breweries that have, you know, one beer for uh, every or uh, Roy G. Biv notch in the rainbow sure. of the beer rainbow. Maybe a couple for them, right? Yeah, and they've decided to refocus on Berliner Weisses. So they are uh, shifting away. They're going to uh, cut down to just twelve beers. Wow. And uh, they are they're actually switching away from traditional styles, including IPAs and porters, and they will push put their entire push behind uh, for new beers behind two tart fruit flavored Berliner Weisse beers. That doesn't seem like uh, focused enough, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like if you're talking about still keeping twelve, that's quite a. Quite well, it depends on what they are. I mean, they don't list yeah. every beer here. Yeah, yeah. What they are. I'm just saying, twelve seems like a lot. They still well, like they say, they're still going to keep the buffalo sweat and the pale ale. But uh, I guess they're kind of they're kind of expecting, like a lot of Europe right now, that a lot of Europe is switching to low alcohol versions of beers, session beers. Yeah, I'm guessing they're betting the horse that session beers are going to become a big, a much bigger player than they are right now. Right. So Tallgrass founder Jeff Gill said. Quote, it almost seems like it doesn't matter what you do with an IPA in today's craft beer climate. After two or three months, people are off to a new one, and what do you do? You rename it, reformulate it. It's not really what we like to do as a company. So that's apparently uh, why they decided to focus on these. He thinks it will create less confusion for distributors and retailers uh, when there are thousands of craft SKUs out there per store. Right. 
you know, if if you're doing something more unique like that, though, I can kind of understand it. Like yeah. the you know key lime pie and the raspberry jam and stuff. But uh, some of the other ones are keeping like the oatmeal stout. Like there's a lot of people that have oatmeal stouts. Well, yeah, but I guess if it's a uh, if it's one of those beers that people always go to, it's so successful. Right. So sure. it, you know, in this case, they said that uh, Berliner Weisses are now fifty percent of the company's product uh, growth. Oh, okay. So yeah. they're apparently seeing great success with the uh, with those tot style of beers. And right. he's, he did admit, of course, it's in the honeymoon phase, but I was just looking at the numbers, and they're right there with it, and it's showing some sustainability. Have you had anything from Tallgrass, just out of curiosity? Uh, I've had the Raspberry Jam, and I think I've had the Buffalo Sweat, but it's been a while for both. Okay. I mean... I've had the 8-bit, that's it. So it's, it's interesting. Okay. It's interesting. I mean, we talked about that before, that some brewers are going to have to refocus and, and retract and... There's that one brewery out of Colorado, and I can't remember the name, but they only do red ales. They yeah. Do variations on red ales. And they're a tiny little brewery, but, you know, they do pretty well for themselves. Breckenridge? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Breckenridge. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. No, I think that's good, though. Yeah. You get one beer that's doing really well and just say, forget about it. Let's just go with that. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's, uh, it's sad times, but uh, look, there was a correction coming for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it looks like we're about to... We haven't hit it hard yet. I mean, this is just right. this is just easing on the brakes. There may come we there may come a time when it just slams into the wall at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Which yep. just be sad and means we have to shut down the show. Probably. Or we just re, you know rejoice in the death and destruction. We well, may do that anyway. Who knows? Or maybe we can acquire a brewery cheaply. <laughs> right. Exactly. And we can focus on cheap rice based uh, pilsners and lagers. Yes. Great success. Great, great success. We can invent the new uh, PBR. Yeah. So, coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about 21 beers that changed America. Completely changed it. You wouldn't know America without these beers. That's right. Hey guys, Josh here, just to let you know, to remind you, to get the word out, to put it in your brain, that no matter when you're listening to this podcast, Thursday is right around the corner. What's so significant about Thursday? Well, at Thursday at noon, you get to tune in and listen live to Liquid Lunch. Join myself and Catherine Contreras from She's Crafty Podcast as we join forces to bring you Texas's live midday craft beer show. It's the only one like it out there in the entire world. We're live. We take your calls at 713-678-0070. We have on the best guests in the craft beer world from the state of Texas and beyond, and it's just a fun time. You'll hear what you're eating. What you drinking? We'll get the latest in uh, news and craft beer goings-ons, promotions of all the latest happenings, and you can be a part of the show with us each and every Thursday at noon. LiquidLunchShow.com is where we're located. Also on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, streaming live video and audio. Your choice. Come join the party. Kick off the weekend. Thursday at noon. LiquidLunchShow.com. That's Liquid Lunch. We'll see you there. A lot of beers have actually affected uh, the United States, Mark. I don't know if you know about that. I would say they affect us on a daily basis. Yeah, probably so. 
And I'm very curious how many of these you've actually had because this is a list from Thrillist.com, if you've ever heard of that. A somewhat legitimate site. I don't know if it's 100%. I'm just going to go and say they're fake news. Yeah, they may be. But um, they put together a list, and this is dated uh, 2015. So, a lot of dating. Not, not too old, but, you know, not, not cutting edge, but, you know, close enough. And they basically picked uh, 21 beers that have changed America. And, and what change means, I don't know. But Well, they're, they, the whole point is they're basically saying these are, <laughs> these are beers that changed beer. Right. So they changed – they didn't necessarily change America. They changed – they changed uh, beer styles in America. Or the title of the article is 21 oh, Beers That Changed America. I, look, I know. That's I get it. I understand. Okay. I mean, yes, they changed America a little bit in in the small niche known as drinking. Right. I guess that's not really a small niche. but uh, that, that, That's a very large. I'm going to say within area. craft beer or, or beer itself. It, it's <laughs> it's a small small way you can change America. Right, sure. Yeah, and fair the, enough. The first thing they list on here, and this one I actually... Hardly agree with, and that's Anchor Steam, and which has been around. The brewery itself has been around since the late 1800s, and Fritz Maytag was very late 1896. Yeah, he Fritz Maytag in the late 60s came in, and it was his favorite beer in San Francisco. Well, it was he lived in San Francisco. It was his favorite beer, and he came in and took over the brewery, and because they were failing, they were about to shut down, and had one employee, and he was gonna uh, he. Went over to see the brewery one last time and ended up uh, with a 51% stake in the company. Right. And ended up, uh, and by the way, he was the heir to the uh, Maytag Empire. So he ended up uh, spending the next 45 years working at that brewery uh, up until 2011, 10, something like that. And he decided to um, leave the business and felt that. No basis for that. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. It was, <laughs> he decided to, uh, he decided with the crap beer boom happening and starting to emerge, he decided it was time to bow out. <clears throat> right. But uh, noted, they are noted now as they are now big beer because they sold out recently. They did, yeah, which was kind of sad. But uh, they, the, the, how they changed it was, I guess, they really are the forerunners of the craft beer movement because they were one of the only breweries to survive the great consolidation of the true. 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah, that's very true. And they held out, and they held out long enough, and uh, they made it through that, that dark, uh, depressing time. Yeah, which was a very dark and depressing time. Um so from Anchor, I think I've maybe had a couple things from them. I can't really pinpoint it, but I've I've had the porter, the Christmas ale, uh, Christmas ale. Yes, I've had that. The I'm pretty sure I had the Liberty ale, but I can't remember. Yeah, uh, but again, they're not you know old man syndrome. I don't really go to them ever. I don't either. They're craft beer of days gone by. And the second one on the list I don't go to either, which is Blue Moon, first brewed in 1995. So it's been around a little bit longer than I expected. Uh, first brewed at uh, Coors Field, America exclamation point, they say in this article. Uh, Blue Moon represents many things. For some, it's the moment big beer went craft, or crafty as some would put it. But for others, it represents an orange kiss glimpse into the notion that beer could be different. And that was the whole world of beer beyond light and not light, particularly in markets where a robust local brewery scene had not yet taken root. I will give them credit for that. They are, you know, they are big beer. They are owned by Coors, but they're not Coors exactly. I mean, they do have a specific, uh, specific, specific craft beer type vibe to them. I know a lot of people make fun of them because you stick an orange on there, and that's supposed to be the thing, whatever. Right. But they do have a different. They do have a different feel. And a well, they were. Taste. I mean, they were definitely. While they're not craft beer per se, they. I, I mean, I'm right there among. 
with this writer, this article, that's they were kind of they let if you weren't a fan of regular big beer, the loggers and pilsners, right. they kind of gave you a glimpse into what beer could be. They are a little bit like um, a heavy wheat beer or something along those lines, which you can get from several craft breweries, yeah. like Franconia around here or something. Sure, I would say Franconia wheat and Blue Moon are not the same, but they're kind of similar. They're comparable in yeah. flavor palettes. Right. Yeah, which is, you know, I think that's worth noting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I would say they're, while they're not wholly responsible, they are, I think they are somewhat responsible for the craft beer boom because it probably helped a new generation of drinkers who maybe not, would not have stuck with Coors or Budweiser as a result. They sure. decided to give other types of beer a try because of Blue Moon. <clears throat> yeah, and if you like generic lagers, you're not going to like Blue Moon. It's not the same. If that's all you like, sure. So I, I do think they kind of take it a step beyond just for that fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they deserve that credit. Uh, the next one is Budweiser. I mean, right. they have definitely made their stamp on the United States from just being one of the biggest <laughs> beer or brewers of all time to the fact that they have some of the most memorable commercials of all time. Well, like you've talked about before, I think Budweiser deserves credit if for nothing else, their ability to produce on that level. I mean, that's 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 a feat within it itself. It is. It's an absolute absolutely it is. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to give them a lot of credit because I hate them, but I also admit that that's my own personal bias. Yeah. And if I look at it objectively, that's very impressive to Being be able, able to, to scale. make that much worldwide yeah. output and anywhere you get a Budweiser around the globe, it's going to taste the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. It is an accomplishment, and they should be lauded for that. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean we have to like their business practices and the way they treat craft brewers. Doesn't mean we have to like all the acquisitions, but they they have their place in beer history. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not even sure beer would be as big as it is if it wasn't for uh, for Budweiser. And we, I mean, what do you want to say about yeah. that? I mean, say whatever you want to say about that, but I think that's true. Yeah. And we should note here that there he says that uh, the writer of this article says that the reason they're notable, I guess, and I think our reasons are probably more notable, but uh, it was the first American beer to be pasteurized, which gave it a longer shelf life, as opposed to one of the options of the Coors Yellow Bellies. What you know, the reason people didn't like it was because it wasn't pasteurized, and right. uh, hence our our uh, special Smoking the Bandit episode a long time ago, uh, all right. about that. Uh, so I get, yeah, I guess that's that's an accomplishment of theirs. They can uh, put on their. They can notch on their headboard, but I don't think that's their most significant reason of how they changed America. Right, and to rotate back to me for the next one, which is Coors, uh, the notable thing they mention here is the fact that they instituted a cash for cans program, which rewarded each rewarded each can with a penny. Well, so and they turned it in, you got a penny, and they were the first the first beer to use the aluminum can as opposed to tin. Well, that too, but I'm just saying. I think Coors has had an impact beyond that. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, I, I think they've had a culture impact. Now, I would Coors say was, Coors was kind of the uh, like crafty, specialized, yes. you know, brewery that you couldn't get on the west on the east coast. We couldn't get it. Yeah, we couldn't get yeah. in Texas for a long time. We well, couldn't Texas get the Texas was Bells. actually the east coast boundary. Like you could yeah. get it here, but like no, I live in I New York. Say, or, I'm saying I remember even in recent last ten years, it was hard to get even Yellow Bellies. Well, maybe that. I mean, you can get some kind of Coors, Coors Light. You could get anywhere, but, but I'm saying like if you go back to the 70s, 60s, no, 70s. Sure. Coors was available here, but yeah. like if you wanted to be like in New York or you know yeah. anywhere on the East Coast, Coors is like a, a luxury, specialized craft lager at the yeah. time. Hence of the whole setup of the movie Smoking the Bandit, right, exactly, smuggling yeah. Coors to uh, the East Coast. 
Well, my point is, I think they're way beyond just cash for cans. Yeah, I mean... As being their, like, pointed... I would the, say... The thing to point out about them. I would say, okay, they get a notch on their headboard for aluminum cans, yeah, but... Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know that cash for cans is really, like, it's an accomplishment, but in the long is, list yeah. of accomplishments that Coors has had yeah. and how they change things... Now, I would argue that they have not had as big a cultural impact as Budweiser has had. No, uh, they just haven't. By, it's just... The way it turned out, but they have definitely had a huge cultural impact, nonetheless. But you know, if you're going to pick the premier loggers sure. from the U.S., it's going to be Coors and Budweiser. Absolutely, both of those. Yes. So yeah, they've definitely done well. Yeah, and they've had, I mean, not as many memorable commercials, but you're definitely never going to uh, not forget. You're not going to ever forget the uh, people all over the world with the uh, ice train going <laughs> through the football stadium. Right. Commercial, yeah. The or, Silver Bullet. Never were they the one that, that did the Twins? The Twins. They did. That they did course. that, and they did the Silver Bullet. The Silver Bullets. So, uh, yeah. I mean, they've had their they've had their market society. Yeah. Absolutely. No doubt. So uh, not a beer I go to, but yeah, no doubt. In 1999. Um, I think, I mean, for my purposes, I think what this article is turning to, it's a little too narrow focused. If you want to talk about beers that change uh, change the world. America, and, not the world. Uh, sorry, America. And it, this article kind of goes back and forth between specific beers, as in this next one, yeah. and then breweries themselves. I feel like right. you need to either stick with either make beers or well, make breweries. the one breweries. after you're talking about is also very specific. So I would, I would have called it maybe 21 Reasons How Beer Changed America, not right. 21 Beers. Anyways, the next one is uh, Dogfish Heads Worldwide Stout, which I've never had. It was first brewed in 1999, and at 20%, uh, it was named the strongest beer in the world at the time. Of course, now... Uh, I think it's Brewdog is the one that keeps trying to top themselves, and I think the uh, who did uh, Tactical Nuclear was thirty one percent, thirty two percent, and then they had Ooh. the one after that was a, that was in the came in some dead squirrels that was or armadillos <laughs> or something that was like forty or fifty percent something like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, it, it's but uh, yeah, you got to give Dogfish Head a lot of credits. Uh, I mean, on top of that, just for being one of the most dominating craft brewers of all time. I was going to say, Dogfish has been a everlasting craft brewery. They are very experimental. They did yeah. their own show on Discovery. I mean, that says a lot because they have that kind of pull that they can do that. Yeah. And, yeah, they've been very good. They've, they've done – they're probably the most experimental, massive craft brewery in the country mm-hmm. by far. And early I don't on. I think it's even close. It's, and, the, and the one thing I think that – to Dogfish's credit, I mean, among many things, is like you just kind of mentioned, is they're not afraid to try something. They have the uh, financial backing that they can put out a beer that the, sure. the white consumer base may not like it, but it may find its place with a certain crowd, and they're not afraid to try those weird things oh, and see yeah, if they not stick. At all. And I, I think that's inspired a lot of confidence in other brewers to realize that you may think something is weird, but it may find its audience. Well, Dogfish will put, like, what, pieces of a surfboard? I yeah. Mean, it, they don't care. They'll yeah, put they anything care. in the beer. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And uh, the show was actually good, too. Did you ever watch that? I never got a chance to watch it. It Because I didn't, I don't think I had cable at the time when it was on. Yeah. And it only ran one season, I think. Uh, two, I think. Two? But, okay. yeah. Not a, not a whole long time. Uh, the next one up is Goose Island Bourbon County Stout. Uh, they pretty much talk about the fact that they... Uh, they've been very influential, to quote you from the break room. Yeah, uh, very influential. Uh, influential, yes. And uh, I would say that's one that it's kind of got a funny relationship with craft people because everybody hates Goose Island because of the fact they got bought out their major brewery now. Mm-hmm. You know, Goose Island IPA, uh, the Honkers, the Three Twelve. Everything has been, you know, mass produced. Nobody cares about that. But Goose Island, people still like 
the 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 Bourbon County, uh, people line up every year for that. Yeah. You know, and it's it, it's just kind of funny to me that all these like hardcore, um, you know, everything's a drain pour, DFW group people. Yeah. They still line up like, you know, I don't know, fifty. 200 deep, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, there is. And, I and mean, they go for it. Every, every, uh, every what is it? Uh, around Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, yeah. Is it Thanksgiving? It's around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Do a lot of times it's on Black Friday. Black Friday, yeah. yes. That's what it is. I mean, yeah, you'll, yeah you're absolutely going to find everywhere in Dallas nuts and butt lines uh, with yeah. people trying to get their hands on, if not, maybe not the, the regular BCBS anymore, but definitely some of those, the rye and the uh, vanilla and some of those, you know, more rare ones. Uh, even the BCBS. This last year didn't seem to be as much in demand the regular one, yeah. Uh, just because it was a lot more widely available, but the the couple of years before that, absolutely. Yeah, it says uh, why uh, people that live in Chicago cut out early every uh, post Thanksgiving, yeah. So the day after Thanksgiving to wait in lines in uh, sub zero temperatures just to get some BCS, yeah. Which thankfully at least is not sub zero temperatures here, but. Uh, I think every year I've gone out and gotten a couple of them. Yeah, uh, Black Friday just just to have them, and I probably will this year. I mean, that's just uh, one of those that year. I actually go out and do. We're gonna be in the Dominican Republic. Oh yeah, that's true. You're gonna go maybe to the uh, Target of the Dominican to try to find it. <laughs> the total wine of Dominican Republic. I'll, I'll pay somebody to go out there and do that for <laughs> me this year. Uh, that's why they have TaskRabbit to do that, right? But I didn't realize they've been around since '92. Yeah, they've been around a long early. time. Yeah. But yeah, I think they. I think as far as their achievements go, I think the I think the BCBS is a, is an achievement. Uh, but then again, the variants especially. How long has Founders been around? Uh, similar, like late eighties. Okay, and they've been doing the 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 KBS for a long time. Yeah, but BCS does variants that is different than. I mean, well, Founders, that's true. Same, I guess I'm just. I guess I'm just looking the at same just, KBS every year. I guess I'm just looking just at the the bourbon barrel aging as far as their yeah, sure. their mark yeah. upon the beer world. It would seem to me that you would have to land it somewhere at the feet of bourbon barrel aging as far as where they made their mark. Those two are probably the pinnacles. In the yeah, and that, that's kind of where I would say is yeah. that I don't think they're... And that's why I don't know that you should only put it at the feet of Goose Island. I think Founders no, no, deserves their... I agree. Deserves a word here alongside. I'm just saying Founders doesn't have the variants, so it's not... Yeah, true. Not quite as diverse. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, absolutely. All right, the next one I'm not really familiar with, because I don't know that I've... I mean, I'm sure it's been on the shelves, but I don't know that I've ever had it. Because it's a lager. Uh, it's Henry Weinhardt's uh, private reserve lager, or the company specifically out of Portland. Uh, they said it, I mean, this article says it kicked off the whole beer Vonda thing before uh, pet names for cities were a thing. Right. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it said They said it made a big impact on the Northwest culture. It didn't make an impact on me. Never has. I never wanted to reach for well, that. We beer. don't live in the Northwest. We don't. We didn't. So I can't. We can't really speak to this because it didn't make right. an impact on us. So those of you six, though, it's been around a while. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Now, if you're in the Northwest, I'm sure it made an impact on you, and I will allow you to justify that uh, to yourself. Or if you want to email us and tell us why, absolutely. Yes. Uh, next up is Lakefront Brewing Organic ESB. Um, ESB is not a style I go for much. Uh, the fact that they are organic. Does it does give them a little bit of a, I don't know, a little bit of credit? Yeah, but, there's not there's not even that many organic beers now. Well, '96 is early to get into that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, in the, they're from uh, what Milwaukee, and then the land of the friendly, the people? good life, the yes. good life. Sorry, the good life. That's right. <laughs> Alice Cooper taught me that. Uh, they also uh, were Trailblazers, making the first federally approved gluten free beer. So they've done some innovative things. Apparently, Trailblazers in kind of the I don't know. 
I don't say homeopathic community, but the yeah, sure, you know, kind of the alternative lifestyle, dietary lifestyle, I should yeah. say. Uh, and you wouldn't expect that out of the out of the Midwest. Uh, the next one is Miller Lite, first brewed in 1974 uh, by yourself and many other people. It is uh, if there's nothing else available, they're going to reach for a Miller Lite. I do. It's actually my favorite macro by far. It's not even close. Yeah, I mean, I, I you always have a a craft beer in one hand and a Miller Lite in the other at all times. I could, yeah. A Miller Lite's not bad. It, it's actually a Pilsner. It's a little bit different, so which is nice. And you know, I don't know why they ever went away from their traditional uh, emblazoned can with the big word light and L-I-T-E in it, you know, the white and, and blue can. I don't know why they ever went away from that because it was just so iconic. And then a couple <laughs> years ago, they said, hey, we're idiots. Let's go back to the traditional can because it looks a lot better than our Gennaro 90s can. Do you agree with what they say that by 2027, we'll have a uh, craft beer light will be a thing and it will be Miller Lite? Uh, no, they say all because of Miller Lite. Well, because uh, of Miller Lite. They say light beer by 2027. I, I think that's already happening. I think we're seeing the yeah, rise true. of session, I, session yeah, beers. Yeah, I think it's a little bit far out. Yeah, I, I mean, this was back in 2015, probably before session started taking, making a real big mark on at the time. <laughs> I think it seems like, I bet trends at the time were definitely IPAs and probably sure. heavier ABV beers. So, But uh, I think we're already seeing that. Uh, people want uh, lower ABV beers and, and to drink more of them. So, Sure. Uh, uh, the next one, I don't even know how you say that. Nargassant? I don't know. Nargit, Nargassant? Nargassant? Not going to be getting a paycheck anymore. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, been around since 1890. Uh, they're basically corporate sponsors of the Red Sox and Boston Braves, which are now the Atlanta Braves, of course, uh, which included telecast of this newfangled invention called television. Hey, Um It's fit. Uh, what do they say here? Considered using televised sports to sell to people now represents approximately 57% of the U.S. economic activity. So I guess this was like the first beer that was actually sold to people that were watching sports. I guess so. And does that make it any good? I don't know. Maybe (laughs) maybe they're innovative from that front. Again, this this article's kind of all all over the place, but uh, it's not really focused. It's not saying it's a good beer. It's just saying it made its mark. Right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, selling, selling beer to sports fans, that's... Obviously, a very important thing nowadays. I mean, Bud Light and uh, others sport big things like NFL and uh, NBA and MLB. So, yeah. I mean, I guess if they're the first ones who decided to do that, uh, yeah, they, they deserve some credit there. Yeah. Another one that I uh, guarantee we'd never had either from the from the Northeast, the National Bohemian, which was first brewed in 1885. Uh, big fan, apparently. Natty Bo was a big favorite up in uh, Baltimore. Han- uh, Home of the Wire, McNulty, Bunk. And uh, apparently altered the beer landscape in 1943 when it became the first bird to make six-packs available. Oh, okay. And uh, apparently they are apparently they are given the due for this innovation now. Who knows if, because we tore down all the statues, we don't really know about history anymore. Um, yeah, you but can't research anymore. Without, without a, without a six-pack statue, there's no way we could ever know these facts. Right. But they are given credit for the six-pack innovation. Um, I mean, that's a big innovation. It is. If they were really the first ones who did six packs, and I mean, that's everything comes to six or four now. And they should also be given credit. If they were the ones that came up with the plastic rings, think of all the dolphins and the birds that they've killed over the years. <laughs> the millions of birds. That's innovative too, right? That's absolutely. And the, the turtles they've crushed in their shells that have grown through uh, six-pack rings. Uh, next up is Oscar Blue's Dale's Pale Ale. Which, uh, you know, they used to be a frequent one that I would go for. Uh, for some reason, lately, 
pale ale has just not been a thing that I go for as much. But, you know, 2002, that's early on in the craft game. And, yeah, but uh, I, I would kind of challenge this. They, they said it became, it wasn't the first craft beer to achieve availability in cans, but it was the first to do so and then become wildly popular. Yeah. I, I mean, wasn't Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale available in cans at, I, as early as, like, 1980s? No, I mean, it 1990s? Bottles. It was only bottles? Yeah. So oh. they are the first canned Pale Ale to actually achieve massive success. So if that is true, which, as far as I know, it is, like you said, the only other one I could think of is uh, yeah. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which was only bottles. Um, yeah, that's that's fairly significant, right? It's, it's yeah, it's it's an achievement for sure. It yeah. just I would say so. Yeah, I mean, I probably Oscar Blues deserves notoriety for other things, but uh, yeah, all right, <laughs> we'll I mean, go with you it. You know, for this list, I don't, I don't dispute that. Yeah, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. Paps Blue Ribbon. He has not even had a drop of alcohol. I'm not. And that's how he talks. Paps Blue Ribbon uh, gets a mark on this list. First brewed in 1844, and in this case, it's specifically because of hipsters because the uh, they. Owe their, to you, Hobby. They owe their resurgence to the hipsters because of the low price points, and it could it could help you work at a record store where they only sell seven inch records, and you could still afford beer as opposed to craft beer. Now, I was I suppose there was an article we didn't talk about today in the news that was talking about how blaming millennials again, saying they are turning to cheaper beers. Yeah, uh, macro beer, according to Drizzly, which is a alcohol delivery service that is probably not available everywhere. According to their numbers, millennials are responsible for a massive upswing in macro beers oh, okay. that they are turning. Now, numbers, industry numbers still say that macros are still falling, but according right. to Drizzly, millennials are turning in droves to macro beers, and uh, PBR and Lone Star and people like that, or beers like that, are you know part of that. Uh, okay. So I know PBR is, is the Miller Lite of many people that we know. Oh, by far, yes. Um, not, a, not a PBR fan by any stretch. When was the last time you had it? Just uh, we went on that Florida fl- fishing trip. Uh, it was like well, that's been like a decade again, almost a decade. Yeah, that was the last time I had a PBR. <laughs> okay, I was just curious, and I was so hammered at the time. That yeah, was- I mean it's it's a good beer if you're already hammered or if you want to shotgun something, but you know it's just like Coors or yeah. Bud Light or whatever. Uh, you know it's something, but it's crushable. It's maybe a little bit better than those, but maybe maybe a little bit better than those. Yeah. Uh, next up is Russian River Plenty the Younger, which is the very rare few weeks a year available beer from Russian River. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had Plenty the Older. We did that on the show uh, back when we used to review beer. And, um, yeah, it's Plenty the Younger. Um, it's the triple hop version, which normally means it's a lot sweeter. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. Are you... You're more of a fan of triple or double hop beers, or does it appear? Does it's, it depend on what you're in? Doesn't really. For? As long as it's good, I I don't I don't really have a strong preference between the two. Okay, it depends so you, on the mood. It really so you depends. don't care if it's biting or if you care. If it's no, sweeter. it just depends on the mood I'm in. Okay, but I can't say that I have a strong preference for either one. So basically, they say that Plenty the Younger is like a it's like a tourist driver to mm-hmm. Santa Rosa and going around there and trying to find it during that that small period of time. Um, I guess my question is. Does Russian River only have that brewing capacity for that, or are they trying to intentionally drive people to go there for that specific time? Who knows? I have no idea. I'm guessing they have enough notoriety now that if they want to increase production, they could. I don't could. expect you to tell me the answer. I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. Um, so, Plenty the Elder, obviously you like it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Never had Plenty the Younger. Obviously, uh, what else have you had from them? Anything? Blind Pig? No, I've that? only had Plenty the Elder. Blind Pig is also excellent. Yeah. 
I uh, never had younger though. Never had that opportunity. Well, it's only available for two weeks in Santa Rosa a year. So yeah, apparently their entire tourist tra- uh, trap trips <laughs> set up just for that uh, right. occasion. Maybe we should take that trip sometime. Uh, we won't, but we should. We should. We should consider it. We'll I agree. Stay, we stay should. Stay at B and B. Sam Adams, another not beer but a brewery itself. Sam Adams was the ubiquitous name for craft beer for throughout the nineties, the eighties, the nineties. Sam Adams is a deserved game changer. Absolutely. It definitely is. If you didn't know about Anchor Steam, you're probably yeah. thinking about Sam Adams. I mean, that was really the first beer I can think of that I thought about outside of when I was thinking about drinking beer, which I was not a big fan of for a long time because of Budweiser and Coors. When I would think about something and get a beer, I would get a Sam Adams. Now, to me, it tasted a lot, just not not a ton like Budweiser and Coors, but... It was at least a decent alternative to those beers. To me, Sam Adams lager is garbage because I don't like lagers. Yeah. So I just automatically assume it's garbage. Um, I don't assume I've had it, and I feel like it doesn't taste very good. It, but at the time, it is for better. The time. No, no, it's better than a Budweiser, of course. But I'm, I was going to say to counter that, though, Sam Adams has also come out with a lot of other beers. In the meantime, they're Oktoberfest. They're, even their Rebel IPA, which is kind of generic, uh, you know, several different things have come out with. I've been like, this is not bad. Like, th- this is, I'm glad St. Adams exists because yeah. they came out with some good alternatives to, you know, generic crap that you get available or have available. And, um, you know, they had the, the force behind them to actually provide that on a wide scale, such as being on a cruise ship like we were a few years yeah. ago. Same Adams I, Rebel IPA, probably one of the best things you can get on the cruise ship. Yeah, you know that it's kind of nice that they've that they've done that and expanded beyond the lager because, you know, even their lager, I can't, <laughs> I, just, I just can't embrace it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not even trying to be a hipster or a coolster. I just don't like lager taste. Yeah. So anything else they do, uh, they've done a lot of stuff that's actually decent. But they definitely made their mark with the the original lager back in eighty four. Of course, yeah. I mean that's their that's their primary thing. But yeah, to me. It's just not something I can I can fully embrace. And they too and are suffering from old man syndrome. They are. Um, Schlitz. Uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I guess it's your turn now. Huh? Well, go ahead. Uh, Schlitz first brewed in 1858, and uh, apparently Schlitz they made their mark in 1911 because they were the first beer to be distributed in brown bottles, which uh, prevented which beers <laughs> from tasting like uh, Heineken when it comes yeah. to the United States, uh, having that skunky quality. At least it staves it off for a long time because you don't get the light uh, coming through on the green bottles. Right. Which I, mean, I would say that's a big innovation. That's definitely they deserve that. That's part of why I hate Stella Trois. I mean, it's just or Stella, yeah, yeah. It, it's awful. Yeah, it, it's totally awful. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand the taste for Heineken or uh, Stella yeah. or you know Jester King's drive to put things in in green bottles. I just, I guess, I just don't get it. I don't either. Uh, next up is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which uh, it's pretty hard to argue that they're not uh, totally innovative, you know, shook up the market type beer because uh, they came out all the way back in 1980, uh, and they came out in brown bottles, and they were a hop, a quote unquote hop heavy pale ale, and compared to anything else on the market, there wasn't anything close, right? I mean, yeah. they even showed up in stuff like, um, I mean, I don't know how influential you think uh friends is but you know you have like ross sitting at a bar drinking uh sierra nevada pale ale or something like that yeah 
Um, they have him up in uh, Joey and Chandler's apartment, uh, that kind of stuff, and that's pretty innovative for the time. I well, mean, Anchor, it, I think it was yeah. Liberty Ale. Anchor was a hop forward parallel also, but it didn't seem to get. They I mean, were, but they didn't get that. They didn't, didn't get, that get that push. It didn't get that uh, maybe hipsters of the '90s recognition that <laughs> right. that Sierra Nevada did. It got that the cool kids uh, yeah. branding to that. I don't know that Anchor ever got very influential. I yeah. mean, you can't you can't argue that. Yeah, they're they're synonymous with uh, with beer. They're 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 one of the most ubiquitous beers now. Now, now are they really hop heavy? Uh, the the pale no not not yeah. not by today's standards. Yeah, by today's standards. But mm-hmm. for when they came out and when they were popular, especially in the nineties and early aughts, um, yeah. Which we did the pale ale way back, didn't we? Uh, I think, I think we, we did. did. I think we did. I'm pretty yeah. sure we did. Go back in the catalog. You'll find yeah. it. I won't, but yeah. Not you. I'm talking to okay. you, the listener. Fair enough. You, the yep. listener. Stone Arrogant Bastard. Uh, first Dude. brewed in 1997. They say here the original pale ale. Uh, it's weird phrasing. It makes it say like he's trying to say the original pale ale, but they are by far from the original pale ale uh, by decades. But it was definitely Stone's probably burst. Stone's first big achievement. Stone Arrogant Bastard is the transition to craft beer. I would say that is like they they could plant their flag on the moon. This is the one that said craft beer is here. Mm. Drink a Stone Arrogant Bastard, and you know what craft beer is. I mean they 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 did it, man. I mean they're the ones they're the ones who made craft beer a thing. Well, they, they did the most they did the most distribution. I know I know Sierra Nevada and some others came before them, but. They're the ones that really kicked it up an eye. Well, they also people drank and they're like, "Oh, this is great." But they also came with something that I think Brewdog took and ran away with. And not that Stone has fallen behind, but they have in some degrees because, and that is personality. Because the bottles, yeah. the the demon that they have on the on the arrogant bastard uh, bottle, really stuck out on the shelves. They kind of had an attitude to, kind of a punk rock attitude to them. Sure. And I think you know Brewdog took that attitude and ran they got with it. The devil on there. And, yeah. And, you know. They, and, yeah. They and Brewdog has like all these stunts that they pull now. And well, they took know. it up a notch from like Sierra Nevada. Yeah. Sierra Nevada was kind of like a plain green label. Yeah. That's here's our pale ale. It's a little different. Whatever. Stone was kind of in your face. Stone was like, you know, right in your face. Drink yeah. this stuff, and you'll you'll really like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Stone Arrogant Bastard's like. If it wasn't for Stone Arrogant Bastard, we wouldn't have this podcast. That's kind of the way true. I think about it. That's probably I, true. I think I think they're that pivotal. Absolutely. Uh, the next one, Three Floyd's Dark Lord. We have no access to Three Floyd's here. We have no access currently. Yes. Uh, the Dark Lord is arguably their most famous beer, and this I I would say he probably should have lumped this in with Pliny, uh, yeah. and that in, you know has its own little holiday. Um, that inspires people to take uh, trips there. It's Dark Lord Day. Uh, I would say he probably should have written these side by side, but, uh, you know, uh, limited quantities, a uh, lot of demand for it, but yeah. also very, very limited access to that beer. So uh, I, wish I can't I speak more to it. I wish I could, too, and I hope someday we can speak to it. Uh, up next is Widmere Hefeweizen, which Widmere was uh, It's one of those breweries that's been absorbed by one of the macros, and... It's an Oregon-based beer or brewery, and they have a lot of good beers, uh, which I kind of actually like the fact they've been absorbed because we get a lot more stuff around here. Yeah. And I think it's very good. Um, I don't know about the Hefeweizen specifically. Uh, they say it's been around since 1986, and it's a leader to become one of the biggest craft breweries in the country and inspire breweries across the states to adopt uh, the same the same kind of brewing style. Uh well, and I don't I, know. I don't like they because they seem to 
the way this article is written too, and another point I disagree on is they seem to act like these guys were these big innovators behind Hefeweizens, but Hefeweizens right. have been around since like 17th century Bavaria. So right, but I think they're one of the bigger. Oh yeah, they can be the one of the bigger ones, but yeah, to credit them with yeah. like opacity was not a thing before right. Widmer came along is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. And to say the Hefeweizens were not a thing until Widmer came along, I mean, yeah, maybe they weren't as popular. Maybe made that may very well be true. But to say that they're style innovators, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I think they had, they got. Maybe they made a really damn fine beer and they got the reach out of it. Yeah, but they probably had the reach, especially when they came out. Yes, and that was yeah. Like they, you maybe said, yeah. they made the style right. more famous within the United States, but just to say they like they were, it comes across as like they were the inventors of the style, and they are not the inventors of the style. No, they're not. No, uh, they just <laughs> I don't know. They just made the style more famous, and they they made a good I, beer. I get it. Yeah, but Woodmere, they, they're still a very good brewery. Uh, I hope they keep their stuff together, but. Yeah, I agree. Like they're not, they're they, not like the they. They're big beer now too. They are now. Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't know who bought them, but somebody did. But yeah, yeah they're out of Oregon and around the uh, Willamette Valley, somewhere around there. But yeah, it's it, it's unfortunate, but it's also fortunate because you can get it more places. Yeah, true. It's the whole thing that goes with buyouts. So lastly, Yingling Lager uh, was founded in uh, eighteen or sorry, it was first brewed in eighteen twenty nine. Survived the Civil Wars via Prohibition. And is the oldest brewery in America. And five generations later, it's still being brewed by the same family. A lot of people that like lagers, and I know you don't associate with those people, but I, I run in the I run in the sewers with those folks, and they tell is that what me, you call middle class people is the sewer, well the sewer people, people that the people like Yunling you you classify them as below you. This comes from the, the guy sewer. who hates lagers. Uh, but you know we're hanging out in the sewers together, and I'm like yeah. <laughs> Uh, what do you like about Yunling? They're like, man, it's it's great. Um, it's one of the best loggers ever, and people that it's actually generic. travel were in Dallas, so you don't get it here. Yeah, true. But if they go up in the Northeast, which, by the way, I have a few if you want one. But, yeah, if you go up in the Northeast, you can get one, and it's supposed to be different, and everybody loves it. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those most notable loggers that ever, ever that has ever been produced. Yes, and they survived a lot. The Civil War, Prohibition, they survived the big... Uh, just like Anchor, they survived the Great Consolidation. Mark telling them they sucked. I yeah. did. I went right to Mr. Yingling's face and <laughs> punched him. And he actually, I think they came under fire recently for their support of Trump. No, really, uh, and okay. very vocal support of uh, uh, of Trump. Hmm. So they're getting some blowback in the craft community because of that. Just I, I can't imagine why. No, yeah. I mean, I know you love Trump. So <laughs> I know you he's, don't, he's you don't the best ever. It. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed uh, 21 beers and or breweries <laughs> that changed America. Da, 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 da. Would, would you say America has been changed for the better? Uh, yeah. More beer, the better, right? Uh, I don't know about more beer, but uh, better beer. More better beer, the better. Well, more good beer. <laughs> more say. good beer, the better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to episode 112 of Brew Bloods. Uh, if you like the show, you might enjoy us on another show called The Break Room, which we yeah, put out ever so occasionally. Wow. Uh, you can find that at breakroom.tv. Uh, thanks for uh, listening to the show. If you have any friends that enjoy craft beer and podcasts and listen to things, please tell them about our show. We'd really, really appreciate it. Thanks to Johnny B for listening. Absolutely. Always thanks to Johnny B. <laughs> uh, check us out on all the social networks, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you have any stories, things you'd like us to talk about, uh, we'd absolutely appreciate any feedback. You can always email us at brewbloodshow at gmail.com. You can also tell us what we got wrong. 
because uh, I'm sure we got plenty <laughs> wrong. If you have any opinions on this, the styles we talked about today, uh, please uh, you can call it in to four six nine five seven three beer. That's four six nine five seven three two three three seven, or you can email us or again B-E-R. at uh, Blood Show at gmail.com. All right, for Dustin, I'm Mark. Mark, I'm Dustin. Probst. Probst. <laughs>